And when people start saying, oh, you didn't have enough faith or you must not be praying enough or you have unconfessed sin in your life, Job is an example that that's not always the case. Sure, we need to get right with the Lord. And if we've done something that we need to confess and repent, absolutely. But I think to categorically say, you have cancer because you have sin in your life or you're not praying enough or you don't have enough faith, that doesn't line up with the God of the Bible that I know. You know, you can live without food or water for a period of days, but I don't believe you can live one day without hope. Hope is the key to the survival of your soul. Hope is the nourishment that we need to make it through yet another day. No matter what you're facing today, there is hope, my friend. You can choose to make today a good day when you rest in the promises of God. They'll always give you hope. Welcome to the Significant Women Podcast. I'm your host, Carol McLeod, and I'm joined today by Dr. Michelle Bengston. She's the author of Today is Going to Be a Good Day, 90 Promises from God to Start Your Day Off Right. Dr. Bengston, she's a purveyor of hope, and quite frankly, I can't get enough of her. If you're looking for more hope, for your soul, if you're starving for hope, then today's podcast is just for you. Lean in and listen to my conversation with my friend, Dr. Michelle Bengston. Well, Dr. Michelle, you don't know this, and I didn't tell you before because I, I just wanted to be surprised, but did you know I have wanted to be your friend for years and years and years? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yes, yes. You know, I've watched you and I've read your stuff and and seen how the Lord's using you. And I thought, oh, I want to be friends with Dr. Michelle, but I didn't know how to make it happen. (laughs) It's always better when God makes it happen anyway, Carol. So here we are. Here we are. Here we are at the very beginning. But so, Dr. Michelle, so you are, let me make sure I say this right. You are a neuropsychologist. Is that right? Did I say it right? That's right. Uh What in the world does a neuropsychologist do? Please help me out. (laughs) A neuropsychologist is a professional that you would go to if you have any concerns about any area of brain inefficiency. So I evaluate patients, diagnose, and treat those who have issues ranging from ADHD or learning disabilities or autism to depression or anxiety or post-concussion syndrome after a stroke, or if maybe there's a question that someone may be experiencing dementia. So any area where there's a brain inefficiency, a neuropsychologist is kind of like a combination between a clinical psychologist, a neurologist, and a psychiatrist all bunched in together. Wow. So when you were a little girl, did you want to be a doctor? I wanted to be a therapist. Uh I knew that I wanted to help people. I grew up in a home with a mother who was depressed my entire childhood, only I didn't know that's what it was at that time. I just thought that's what she was or how she was like. But then once I started my training, I realized I'm the right person for you to come see if there's an area of problem and you are ready to address it and take action but I am not the right person for you to come see if you just want to come and vent. That's what a best friend is for. And so uh, the Lord really led me kind of down a path of discovery and led me into neuropsychology, which is great for my very analytical problem-solving mind. And I 
do get to counsel people, but they're people who are ready to take action and they want a change in their life. Got it. So you you treat physiological issues as well as emotional and mental issues. You're under that very wide umbrella. Yes, exactly. Wow. So do you deal with like post-traumatic brain injuries or not? Not really. Yes. 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 I, in my career, I've had the opportunity to evaluate a lot of football players after they've had concussions or traumatic brain injuries. Yeah. So I've seen the gamut. I've seen everywhere from a two-month-old to a 102-year-old. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So where did you go to school? Where did you go to medical school? Nova Southeastern University, which is in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's where my husband and I met and married. And then from there, I've hopscotched all around the country. I moved to Oklahoma City. I was there at the Oklahoma Health City, uh, Oklahoma City Health Sciences Center the year of the Oklahoma City bombing. Wow. So I was on um, the Red Cross Critical Incidents Stress Debriefing Team. And then I moved to Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. And then I went to the University of Alabama Medical Center. And then my husband and I decided that we were tired of being apart and hopscotching around the country. So we moved to Dallas-Fort Worth area. And that's where both of us got jobs. And we were there for the next 23 years. So you're in Dallas-Fort Worth right now. I was until a week before the pandemic hit. And then the Lord moved us to Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Right before the pandemic. Well, so Michelle, now I want to hear your faith story. So you alluded to the fact that you were raised in a home where your mother battled depression. Um, So when did you come to know Jesus? I was fortunate, Carolyn, that I was raised in a Christian home and my parents were really on fire for the Lord. So we were that family that was at church, not only every time the doors were open, but we were usually the family that opened the doors and we did church planting. And so I was raised in the church and I came to know Jesus as my savior when I was seven years old. But that was really just the start. That was when I knew I wanted Jesus in my heart, but I didn't really learn the difference between asking Jesus to be my savior and making him my Lord until I was about 40 years old. Really? Yeah. So was there an event that caused you to stop and say, what? Jesus. There was. Okay. Tell us about that event. There was. I was seeing patients in my office. It was a normal day. I was sitting across from a patient who was on my couch and I doubled over in pain. And I thought, oh, this is unusual. And it just kept getting worse. So I got the patient up to my front office where my staff could take care of them. And as I started to walk back to my office, my husband happened to walk in the back door in the middle of the day and looked at me and said, you don't look good. And I said, I'm not, there's something wrong. I think you need to take me home. And before he could even get me home, I started vomiting and fainting. So he took me to the emergency room and that started a five-month battle of the doctors trying to figure out what was wrong. I was put on medically induced bed rest for five months, so I couldn't be the doctor. I wasn't much of a wife or a mother. All I could do really was sleep, pray, listen to praise and worship music, and watch sermons online. I was kept alive on IV hydration and nutrition. I dwindled from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74, which is 30 pounds lighter than I sit before you today. 
And the longer I stayed in that sickbed, Carol, the more I thought, Jesus, if if this is going to be my life, I don't I don't know that I want to keep on living. And the part of the story that I didn't tell you was up until then, I had been working for over a year, easily 100 plus hours a week. I would work at the office until midnight or one in the morning, and then I would drive home. I would take a quick shower, take a quick nap, and I would be back at the office by three or four. And that started when my husband was diagnosed with cancer a second time. And so I just jumped in and did what I've always done. And that is when there's a crisis, I just jump in and do more. And I did that until my body said, you can't do anymore. And it was during that time when I was convalescing and in the pit of depression and just really crying out to the Lord that I felt like he whispered to my heart, I never asked you to do all that. I didn't ask you to be your own provider. Mm-hmm. And you can go back to that practice and work 100 hours a week and I'm not going to love you anymore. And if you don't go back to your private practice and you never see another patient, I'm not going to love you less. And that's when the light bulb went off because I was really without recognizing it, I was trying to earn God's love because I grew up in a home where I felt like I had to earn my mother's love. And that translated into my spiritual walk. And that changed everything for me. Then when I finally did get well enough to go back to the private practice, it was because I wanted to serve the Lord Mm -hmm. out of gratitude and joy, not because I felt like I needed to earn his love. You know, that is a profound lesson for women in general. because we feel like we have to earn a man's love or parental love or the love of a friend. How do I get to be with that group of people? So what, what a rich lesson the Lord took the time to, to teach you. So I have a couple questions. So how is your husband's health? He's doing well. He's battled three different types of cancer. We think he's stable right now, although our medical care here has not been the best. So we'll be making a trip back to Dallas and checking in with his oncologist there. But Carol, I have to tell you, I'm so fortunate because I God allowed me to meet and marry the most optimistic person you will ever meet in your lifetime. 23 years ago, he was diagnosed with a very, very rare form of abdominal cancer. And I'll never forget that day because the oncologist sat across from us very glim. And he just said, Mr. Bankston, I'm so sorry, but you need to go home and get your affairs in order. You'll be dead within two years. Mm. And God had a totally different plan. He underwent a 23-hour surgery in which he had a one in four chance of survival through the surgery. And he's here with us 23 years later. Oh my goodness. Only God. Only God. Only God. Yes. Yes. But now let's, how many children do you have, Michelle? And, and what I are have two ages? boys. Two boys, uh huh. Twenty three and nineteen. Okay, okay. So you're in those young adult years, which are yes. I'm learning how to parent young adults, which is completely different than parenting children, isn't it? You know, it is. I hate. I hate to tell you this, Michelle, but I often say, give me a strong-willed two-year-old any day over a young adult, right? I know. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but tell us about your journey because you've been through a journey the last couple of years that I've sort of watched from afar. So tell us how your health is and what you've been through over the past several years. You know, it's so interesting because I have come to realize that when God calls you to write books as an author, 
somewhere along the time, your message is going to be tested. Yes. So when my first book, Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression, released that very day, Scott was diagnosed with his third form of cancer that day. So we went from book release and party and marketing and all that to, sorry, now we have to focus on doctor's appointments, surgery, and chemotherapy. And then when my second book, Breaking Anxiety's Grip, released that week, I heard the call that nobody expects to hear. We were on our way to an oncology appointment for my husband and the doctor. My doctor called me and I thought, well, that's strange. They must just be rescheduling an appointment. And I answered and she said, Dr. Bankson? I said, yes. She said, I hate to tell you this, but you have cancer and we need to schedule you for surgery right away. And Carol, I sat there numb. It felt like for minutes, but it was probably only seconds. But I just sat there and thought, wait, you've got the wrong person. Like, I feel healthy. I'm good. This can't be me. Besides, we're on our way to go see Scott's doctor. And she said, Dr. Banks, are you there? And I said, yeah, 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 I'm here. She said, we need to schedule that surgery. Can we do that now? And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to call you back when I can look at my calendar and think. And I hung up with her and Scott looked at me and goes, that didn't sound good. I said, it's not good. They just told me I have cancer. And we walked silently into that oncologist's office for my husband. And I sat there and I felt like the Lord said, you just wrote a book on breaking anxiety's grip. Are you going to take the advice that you've given your readers? And I thought, okay, this did not take God by surprise. He already knows how he's going to get me through this. I don't have to believe the enemy's lies because, you know, as soon as you hear something like Carol, your mind goes to all the what ifs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just felt like the Lord silenced them right there in that moment and said, you can either trust me or you can trust in the one who's lying to you right now. Wow. And it has not been an easy journey. And I've been left with severe chronic pain and the cancer keeps rearing its ugly head. Oh. But, you know, the Lord still, he's still sovereign overall and he's still using it to reach people who are in pain and need to know that there is a hope that we really can hold on to. And that's where I'm placing my hope. And that's how I'm hoping to inspire other people when they're going through difficult times. Yes. Wow. So did you know that I'm a cancer survivor too? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I totally understand the anxiety that not being able to initially process things. But I don't know what you found, but I found that when I took the moment to lean into my faith, to hear from God, a great peace and calm enveloped me. Is that what you experienced as well? I did. I did. But I still have to repetitively lean into that. You know, during that time that I told you that I was so ill and on bed rest, I needed something to hold on to. Because I felt like I was trying all the things I was telling my patients to do, but I was just slipping down into that slippery slope of depression. And I was looking at other people and I thought, they just look so joyful. Lord, I must just be joy immune. And And I remember praying and saying, Lord, I have to have something to hold on to right now. And so he gave me his promise. Although weeping may last for the night, whose joy comes in the morning. And I remember writing a post on social media Today is going to be a good day because his joy comes in the morning. 
And a couple weeks later, I needed something else to hold on to. And he reminded me his mercies are new every morning. And that was the second post. And I tell you what, that has become a six-year daily habit of writing. Today is going to be a good day because, because I know, Carol, how easy it is for me to fall back and start allowing my feelings or my circumstances to dictate how I feel about the day. And instead, God's been teaching me, you can have those feelings, but they don't trump my truth. And you can have bad moments in a day, but that doesn't have to mean your whole day is bad. It all depends on where your focus is. And I find that to be so true. If I, like you did, if I go back and I focus on the fact that nothing takes God by surprise, He's already gone before me. He knows how he's going to get me through this. But am I going to lean into him and trust his truth and trust his promises? Or am I going to believe my feelings that will fail me every time? Yeah. And I love that as a doctor who deals with the mind, the brain, um, mental, emotional issues, you're telling us, don't allow your emotions to trump the truth of scripture, which I believe is one of the strongest messages we can have for women today, because we've been lied to, Dr. Michelle, about our emotions, that if we feel it, we get to say it. If we feel it, we get to choose it. And I just don't see that in the word. Do you? I don't. In fact, I used to say, Carol, I'm so embarrassed, but I used to tell patients, your emotions are neither right nor wrong. They just are. But what I have come to find out is that our emotions are the outward manifestation of the thoughts we believe. Yes. So if I believe I'm a failure, I'm going to feel down about myself. But I, if I believe that I am already victorious in Christ Jesus, then my emotions are going to follow and I'm going to be more determined and I'm going to persevere and I'm going to be tenacious because I know that victory is out there. So we really have to be careful about allowing our emotions to dictate the course of our life. So let me ask you this, Dr. Michelle, why do you think the Lord gave us emotions? Because they've led so many of us down a slippery slope. They have, but emotions are an indicator to us of what our thought life is. You know, scripture tells us to take every thought captive. Yes. Well, we have between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. That is a lot of work. Yeah. When I was in the pit of depression and on bed rest, I remember telling God, I, I don't know if I can do that today. It's just too hard. And I have too many thoughts. I think our emotions are a gift, but I think they are also a barometer of where our thought life is. But I'm grateful that in the pages of scripture, God allows us to see so many biblical greats go through the highs and lows of their emotions, but learn from them as well. You know, I love David. Reading through Psalms is like spiritual whiplash. Why so downcast, oh my soul, but yet I will praise thee. Why so downcast, oh my soul, but yet I put my trust in you. I'm so grateful for those words because it... It normalizes things for me a little bit, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I love it. You know, one time I was reading the word, Dr. Michelle, and I saw an emotion in Scripture. And I thought, what? The Bible talks about human emotion. So for the next year, every time I read a human emotion in Scripture, I circled it. And Dr. Michelle, I made a list of allowable human emotions, human emotions with boundaries and 
human emotions that are not allowed according to scripture, like anxiety, like fear, worry. Um, So to me, that's a fascinating study to see what does the Bible say about human emotions. I'm glad that you mentioned anxiety Mm -hmm. because depression is a condition that so many people still feel so much stigma around. Mm. But anxiety, on the other hand, people will let it roll off their tongue. I'm just worried that I'm just afraid about, I'm just anxious about, like we should experience that. And yet when we go back to the truth of God's word, God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He's given us the prescription to overcome those negative emotions, Mm -hmm. but it's incumbent upon us to do the hard work. Yes, yes. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. That's right. So the Bible does give us really, um, not always, but oftentimes, one plus one equals two. You know, if you trust the Lord, that will trump the fear and anxiety. You know, my absolute passion in life is to teach the Word of God specifically to the women of my generation and all those who follow. Honestly, y'all, I dream about teaching the Word of God. I kid you not. My daily delight is to go digging for gold on the sacred pages of Scripture. You know, I often say I can't change your circumstances. Oh, how I wish I could. But I can help you process your circumstances according to the truth in Scripture. So, If you're looking for a speaker for your next event, women's ministry, community event, I would love for you to consider me. I love to share about things like joy and hope, how to defeat depression, motherhood, Christmas, relationships, anything in scripture, significance, how to get through the storms in life, living a vibrant life. I would love to share with your group of women this year in 2023. So for more information, you can go to my website, which is carolmccloudministries.com slash booking. I can't wait to see you soon. And now let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Michelle. Okay, so Dr. Michelle, you've spent some years here battling cancer and you began the habit, the practice of writing out today is going to be a good day. And from that practice, from that simple habit, your new book has been birthed. So yeah. so tell us about your book, Today is Going to Be a Good Day. Oh, what I love about this book, Carol, that is different is that it's applicable to everyone. Now, I know publishers don't really like you to say that, but we all need to stand on God's promises. It is a small book, It can fit in your purse. It can fit in your glove compartment, in your car, in your office desk. It takes less than two minutes to read an entry. And in that, you've got the scripture for the day of why it can still be a good day, how to apply it, a prayer for the reader, a reflection question, and then true to all of my books, it has a recommended playlist song. Because when I was so sick, playing praise and worship music was so helpful to me because if I'm being very vulnerable and transparent with you, I didn't feel like praising God for my circumstances. 
But when I had praise and worship music going, I couldn't help but hum or sing along. And I know God inhabits the praises of his people. So I like to give people a jump start. Here's where you can go to listen to a song that's applicable to that day because it changes our mood and it gets our praise on. And I know the enemy hates it when we will praise and worship God. And I've decided it's pretty much my life mission to infuriate the enemy. <laughs> yes, it is. It is your calling. Yes, it is. Yeah, the power of worship cannot be overstated in the life of a believer. Um, it's in my phone to this day, although my cancer journey began oh eight and a half years ago now, I still have my healing playlist in my phone. And it was those songs, Dr. Michelle, that built my faith. Yes. When my world had fallen apart. So for the listeners, man. Get get a playlist in your in your phone on your computer, however you do music, and let it play. I, Doctor Michelle, I listened to worship music all night long when I was in the throes of the battle with cancer. Did you do the same thing? I did. In fact, I had it playing every time I was in the hospital, and I would have nurses come into my room, and they would literally say, "I don't know what it is about this room, but it's just so peaceful." And I would just smile, thinking, "I know what it is." This is a holy room. God is inhabiting the praises that are on my CD player. Right, right. You know, so many people will say to me, I, I don't feel God. I, I don't know that he's with me. Well, then just start singing. Because as you said, he inhabits the praises of his people. So you began this practice of writing on social media. Today's going to be a good day. And one of the things that struck me about your story, Dr. Michelle, is even though you were lying in bed, even though you were in pretty horrific pain, you were ministering to other people through the venue that you could. So let's talk about that for a minute as part of our healing journey. Do, do you believe that ministering to others, that we wait until we can do it effectively, or that even when we're in pain, we should be ministering? Oh, I think it's a healing balm that even when we're in pain, we should be ministering to others. There's a very famous psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger, and he was giving a lecture one time to a room of thousands and thousands of medical students. And someone raised their hand and said, Dr. Menninger, if, if someone is on the brink of suicide and they just want to end it all, what advice would you give them? Well, he was a psychiatrist, so everybody thought for sure he would say, get on medication, but yeah, he yeah. didn't. He'd say, I'd turn around, I'd walk through that door, I'd walk across the railroad tracks, across the street, and I'd find someone to help. Because wow. in doing so, you will not only bless them, but it will in turn help you feel better. So minister where you are in whatever means you are capable of doing. It might just be on social media, or it might be to the clerk at the grocery store who you can tell is having a really hard day and she just needs to know she's seen and she's loved. I think what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good if we're open to being his hands and feet. That is so true. And I found it true in my own life, Dr. Michelle. Our family went through a very traumatic event a few years ago, and I was seeing a, a trauma counselor because of the ravage that it did to my soul. And and I told her that I had started a prayer group called Warrior Moms, about moms who pray for their kids. And she looked at me and she said, Carol, you're going to be okay because I know that my clients have turned a corner when they begin to minister mm -hmm. to somebody else. Yeah. So to the listeners today, no matter what 
where you are in your journey, smile at somebody, go tell a young mom she's doing a good job, slip your pastor a $20 bill, go, go clean the church bathrooms, do something that will be a blessing to somebody else. I love that. I love that because all of us are capable of serving somebody right where we're at. God will bring people across our path that we alone are able to minister to. That's right. So Dr. Michelle, one thing in the body of Christ that's a little bit of a conundrum for us is faith. Um, Because unfortunately, you and I have both heard people say, well, if she had more faith, maybe she wouldn't deal with anxiety. Maybe she wouldn't deal with depression. Maybe she'd be healed. I mean, to me, that hurts my heart when I hear people say that. Where do you land with, with that faith terminology? Well, Carol, over the last three years, I've spent more time studying the book of Job Mm -hmm. than any other book I have studied in scripture. And at the opening of that book, it tells us Job was blameless and upright in God's sight. And yet God said, when the enemy was roaming to and fro, trying to find someone that he could wreak havoc on, God said, have you considered my servant, Job? And we get all the way through the book and we find out, even in his questions, God never changed his opinion. He still considered Job blameless and upright. So it's not a question of, well, if Job didn't have enough faith, he wouldn't have lost all of his livestock and all of his servants and all of his children. And he wouldn't have been struck with the boils all over his body. Job had enough faith. But God was more interested in teaching Job about himself than answering Job's questions about why all these things happened to him. So when people start saying, oh, you didn't have enough faith or you must not be praying enough or you have unconfessed sin in your life. Job is an example that that's not always the case. Sure, we need to get right with the Lord. And if we've done something that we need to confess and repent, absolutely. But I think to categorically say you have cancer because you have sin in your life or you're not praying enough or you don't have enough faith, that doesn't line up with the God of the Bible that I know. Amen, sister. Amen. I totally agree with you. Let's talk about the promises of God and how when we're going through a battle, we we need to attach ourselves to the promises of God. Have you found that effective in your battles? I do. I have to come back to what the truth of God says about where my question or my concern is. It's easy, especially when we're going through a battle, to feel like we're alone, to feel like we're forgotten, to feel like God is silent. And it's in those times that I have to come back to the promises that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. God tells us that he delights over us and he sings over us. He says that we are the apple of his eye. So it's those promises that I have to come back to and find out for myself. Sometimes I have to go back and search the scriptures. What does God really say? And am I going to agree with him 
or am I going to agree with my feelings and what the enemy is trying to convince me of? But God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. And Jesus was so kind when he said he had to leave us, that he would send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all truth. But what I found in my own life, Carol, is that I'm responsible for learning the truth so that the Holy Spirit can remind me. He can't remind me of truth that I have not learned for myself. I totally agree with that, Michelle, that we need to help the Holy Spirit out and give him something to work with so that when we're in a battle, those scriptures come to mind. Um, My mom had a nervous breakdown when I was in the seventh grade and spent three weeks you know, in a medically induced coma, which is what they used to do back then. Mm -hmm. Michelle, and when she came out of it, she started declaring the scriptures that she had learned as a little girl in Sunday school. That was the thing that brought her out of it was the word of God. So let's talk about this now, Michelle, for the listeners. How do you have a daily quiet time? Like, what is your process? What is your journey? Let's, let's, coach my friends, my listeners a little bit. This is what works for us in reading scripture. Part of what I do starts the night before. Mm -hmm. I have to set up my space so that it is ready for me to go in the morning. Because if I have to take time to find my journal and find my Bible and find my pen and find the blanket, chances are I'm going to get distracted along the way and it's not going to happen. So I set up my space the night before. I have the coffee pot ready to go. I go out and I get my coffee cup and I leave my phone out on the kitchen counter. And then I spend time. I like to read through the chronological Bible. Okay. Because it it has made such a difference for me because the pieces fit together when I can read it in the order that it actually happened. Mm -hmm. And I'll read for the day and I'll jot down any thoughts that I had. One thing that I do when I'm spending my time in quiet time is like you circled all the emotions in your Bible. I circle all the promises that are in the Bible and I put a P next to it Uh so that when I need that encouragement, I can flip to just about any page in the word. Well, maybe not in numbers, but (laughs) most pages in the word and I can find promises and I will jot down what it means to me. And then if that engenders a question, I'll write that down. Or if it brings people to mind that I need to pray for, I'll jot that down. And then whatever the key verses that really resonates with my heart for that day, I write it on a sticky note and I have it at my desk where I'll Mm -hmm. see it throughout the day. Mm -hmm. That way I'm meditating on it because every time I see it, I read over it again and it brings to remembrance what I read. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do is bring it to our remembrance so that more different ways that I can incorporate the word into my life by reading it, by writing it, by speaking it out, the better chance my brain will have of remembering it when I need it in the future. So about how long in the morning do you spend reading the word and and writing the scripture down? It it varies, but anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Okay, 30 minutes to an hour. And and what chronological Bible do you use? It's the NLT. It's got a pink cover. I wish I could tell you. No, that's okay. That's okay. But what's interesting is a couple years ago, I gave the NIV chronological Bible to both of my boys for Christmas. Uh-huh. 
And Carol, I thought they would be like, oh, that's nice, mom. But they have used their chronological Bibles more than any gift I've ever given them. There will be times that we will be traveling in the car together somewhere, and I'll look back, and one of them has his Bible in his lap, and he's reading that day's passage. I love the chronological Bible. Yes. Oh, it it just made my heart sore. And my oldest just got engaged, and he bought the same chronological Bible for his fiance. So I thought... That was a gift that I didn't expect to go over well, but it was the best gift I could have given them. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can just picture it too. I can I can picture the joy on your face watching your boys read the word. Do you listen to the Bible recap or do you know Tara Lee Cobble? I did start to last year, uh-huh. but I found that I got so distracted when I got on. I do better if I can see it and write it out. But I do like going to the Bible recap when a passage doesn't make sense to me or I have questions about it. I like how she summarizes it, and it's a very short listen. So it enriches the experience. And it for really a lot does. of people, when they're reading, I think that would help. I do too. It's just like a 12 to 15 minute podcast. And yeah. Um, So Dr. Michelle, what's next for you? What's, what's next in your life? You're, you're doing better. You still have pain issues. You've had a book come out, but what, what's next for you? Well, I leave a week from Friday to go back to Texas to have another surgery and begin treatment again. And I've just turned in edits for the next book which is called The Hem of His Garment, Reaching Out to God When Pain Overwhelms. And then hopefully while I'm recovering, I'll start writing the next manuscript. That's right. I love it. So not only are you a doctor, a healer, but you're also a communicator and you love communicating the truth of scripture. So Dr. Michelle, you know, the name of my podcast is Significant Women. So tell us who have been the significant women in your life? Like maybe somebody in the Bible, maybe somebody you've known personally, maybe a woman from history. What what women have impacted you to become the woman you are today? My mom was probably the most in real life significant woman. She came from another country. She was incredibly... Um, insecure, and she suffered with depression and then with cancer. Cancer took her life. But when I look back, Carol, I'm so thankful that she was my mother because she taught me about perseverance and tenacity. And probably had I not had that example, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be pushing through the pain to minister to others. I wouldn't be holding on to my faith like she taught me to do. So she was the most significant woman in real life. But I also love Mary Magdalene from the Bible. You know, what was so impressive about her is that she helped support Jesus's ministry. She was ridiculed and rebuked because of the demons that carried around with her. But she was the last person at the cross and the first person at the tomb. And she's mentioned more in the Bible than some of Jesus's own disciples, which tells me she was pretty special in Jesus's life. Yeah. And she gave up a lot to follow after him. And I want to be like that as well. I do too. Whatever it takes to follow Jesus. So Dr. Michelle, do you have um, a lifetime scripture verse 
or a verse that's just bubbling in your heart today? The verse that has been my life verse and probably will be forever is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for a future and a hope. You know, so often we face difficult life circumstances, and it's frustrating because we can't see the path, but God already knows the plans he has for us, and they are good. Yeah. They are good even when it doesn't feel good in the moment. He always has our good in mind. Yes, he does. He's a good, good God. One of the paraphrases of Romans 8.28 says that um, he has been to your future and it is good because he is good. So we can rely on that, his good plans for our lives. Well, before you go, would you would you pray for us, Dr. Michelle? I would be happy to. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for each person who's listening in today. Lord, I thank you that you know them, that you see them, that you have plans for them, that you have a hope and a future for them. And Lord, I just thank you that you know exactly what we need before we even need it. Lord, would you help them to know that they are seen and loved by you? And would you help them to stand on your promises rather than their feelings and know that with you every day can be a good day? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you've been encouraged by today's episode, would you reach out and let us know? You can email me personally, carol at carolmccloudministries.com or you can find us on all of our social media platforms. As always, don't forget, we do have a free app for your smartphone. So go to the app store on your phone, download the Carol McLeod Ministries app and stay in touch with us that way. You can order Dr. Michelle's book, Today is going to be a good day on her website, drmichellebangston.com, or on Amazon, or really wherever books are sold. Listen, before I end this episode, I want to offer you some hope from Scripture for those of you who have a downcast spirit today. I know what that feels like. I do. When we look around the world, it is so easy to become downcast, discouraged, or even depressed. But God's word has an answer. It's found in Psalm 42, verse 5. And this is what it says. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him for the help of his presence. Listen to that. I shall yet praise him again for the help of his presence. That's the key, my friends, his eternal, invigorating, refreshing, and powerful presence. In the midst of the chaos and storms of life, you can be assured of his presence. There's nothing that can separate you or me from the love of God. He's not going anywhere. Well, remember, you're significant, not because of your income, not because of your education, and not because how clean your home is. You are significant because of the one who made you, and he made you in his exact image likeness to bring his character and his power to the world today. I hope you'll join me next time on the Significant Women Podcast.